Welcome to the Infinite Spark of Being podcast. My name is Keith Welsh, and in this episode, I'm going to be talking to you about the concept of breaking the cycle of birth, death, and suffering as an allegory. But before we get into all that, if you'd like to support the ongoing creation of the Infinite Spark of Being and all that that entails, you can do that at theinfinitesparkofbeing.com, where you can find links to books, t-shirts, tank tops, hoodies, and art prints, as well as the Patreon link that will allow you to pledge $1 or $5 a month to the Infinite Spark of Being. I am sorry that I haven't been more timely. Um, It's simply a time management issue. I'm doing my best. I'm actually trying to do the third book as well. Um, Anyway, so here we are, uh, the allegory of birth, death, and suffering. Let's get started. So this all starts with the idea that life on earth is suffering and that it must be escaped. Uh, We see this this theme a lot in the East, Buddhism, Hinduism. Anytime the subject of karma comes up, the idea of escape comes up, the idea that this is a a horrible situation and it must be escaped. Uh, This even shows up in Christian Gnosticism, the idea that uh, that this is all just a huge mistake. it's a common theme for a lot of people. Um, uh, Philip K. Dick's book, uh, Vallis, you know, the idea, the Gnostic idea of the creator God being an idiot, uh, that the world is not um, erratic, but it's more just irrational. So, but let's remember, uh, language, again, is a cognitive faculty of the mind that allows the mind to put the world and its experiences uh, in the world into some context. Uh, The mind sees what it's looking for. Remember that. Uh, They framed it this way, and so we see it this way. Uh, Especially, you know, we trust these teachers, we trust these things, and so we just take it on, you know? Um, You know, when when Buddha and these, you know, when these ancient, ancient books were first written, life was very hard. Life is not hard now. I remember my mother, um, you know, she'd be in her 80s, and she's like, you know, I know because I'm in my 80s and I'd always make the joke, well, nothing's chasing you. Of course you're in your 80s. Um, <laughs> so let's take a cursory look at the story of the Buddha just real quick. Um, so Siddhartha's response to old age, I'm sorry, I just slurred my words. Siddhartha's response to old age, sickness, and death was to escape. Um, I take a very uh, irreverent look at the Buddha and not out of disrespect, but just I don't know. He wasn't a God. He was just a person, you know, and I reject this idea that he wasn't just like me, you know? So Siddhartha's response to old age, sickness, and death was to escape. Remember that. This knee-jerk response was out of fear. Um, He had an aversion to old age, sickness, and death. Remember that. Yes, it eventually, you know, became enlightening for him. And and once he woke up, but the initial driving force was pain and fear. Pain and fear pushed him to wake up. 
it's almost like the fear was grace, right? So, um, by the way, here we are again, right? Uh, when we think of the, the last one on allegory, when we look at the Gita or the Mahabharat or the Ramayana or uh, the, the, the Passion of Christ, out of fear and aversion or something bad came something beautiful and good. Uh, like I you know, was saying in the last episode, these stories have a lot to teach us, right? The story of the Buddha has a lot to teach us. Um, you know, he was, certainly wasn't going to get father or husband of the year. So the fourth holy messenger, as they're called, was a holy man, a sadhu. Uh, when Siddhartha asked the charioteer who the man was, the charioteer told Siddhartha that this holy man had dedicated his life to breaking free um, of the cycle of birth and death through achieving enlightenment. And this would eventually lead to the cessation of suffering. I personally believe that this was uh, the potential for safety from old age, sickness, and death. That was the motivating factor for Siddhartha, not enlightenment. You know, um, and, and consider it, right? Re well, remember, he wasn't awake yet. He hadn't really realized anything yet. And people will tell you, well, you know, somewhere he knew and this was just part of his karma, whatever. But... <sighs> What's the, the motivating factor for you when you make serious improvements in your life or changes, right? It's fear. It's being scared. You know, I deal with clients every day where I look at them like, man, if you hadn't burned it all to the ground, you wouldn't be here waking up. That's grace. So when we start looking at spiritual or religious paths and practices, we see this idea of a great reward, right? that if we work hard enough, say all of our prayers and do all the things, we'll receive it. We'll get this reward. You know, Mormons get a planet and Christians get a mansion with a street made of gold, which I don't know what good that's going to do you. And, you know, you go to Krishna or you, I don't know, dissolve into light, whatever the thing is, you know, and all we have to do is stay on the straight and narrow till the very end. If we can just stay on this path and do everything just right, you get your reward. You finally don't have to suffer. Well, the problem with the, uh, this sort of thing is that, you know, most people don't have the attention span or consistency or discipline to stay focused on something like that. I don't, right? If I had to like, you know, and our minds automatically look at all the negative things. So if you look at your life in a timeline, it's like, oh my God, I've been fucking up for... You know, especially when you've got this really harsh, you know, the invisible pervert in the sky wagging his finger at you, keeping score with everything. That concept, holy shit. You got to worry about this asshole watching you all the time? Bro, that's rough. Um, or, you know, by our Western nature, we look for quick fixes, something to relieve the pain and pressure. Um, and, you know, we're also upward mobility, achievement oriented. And I understand this completely, but... If, what if we shorten the timeline a bit? What if rather than looking at this birth and death thing through the lens of biology, right? A biological birth and a biological death, we looked at it through the lens of allegory. What if uh, it's not biological birth and death, but instead a metaphor, right? That these stories were speaking allegorically and not, you know, literally. So... The more time I spent studying Dharma with uh, my teacher and the more time I spent with my Sangha and the, you know, the more I read, I started to wonder if the birth and death discussed 
And a lot of the literature wasn't an allegory for something else because when you start picking at it, it doesn't make sense. You know, and that's, you run into the edge of the box, as I like to say. You run into the edge of the box that they've put you in. It's like, well, this isn't working either. So what if each moment is the death of the previous moment? What if each moment is the death of the previous self? What if we die to ourselves, our old selves, each moment? And since there's no metric for a moment, it could just be, you know, that. You know, remember, the body is constantly renewing cells and the mind is constantly learning more information and changing its patterns. So it's never the same, right? You know, the saying, no man ever steps in the same river twice. Uh, what's the quote? No man ever steps in the same river twice for it's not the same river and he's not the same man or something like that. That follows with the idea that all things are causal and require billions of causes and conditions to exist. No moment will ever be the same and no one will ever share the same exact experience, right? So maybe we can begin to see the allegory in these texts. Maybe the cycle of birth and death is really the cycle of suffering. And if suffering is due to the ego's belief that it's fixed and stationary in time, then maybe that's the death. Maybe that's the, the fear of death, that it's not going to exist the way it does, right? Because you got to remember, this is like, what if it's just this biological fear and the mind is concerned with not existing the way it was? Maybe... Maybe it's that we die to our um, attachment to our pain and then take birth into our attachment to the pleasure we achieve while we're trying to escape pain. And the suffering is because we think they both will last, right? Like we believe that the pain will last forever, so we panic and then we grasp at relief. And then, then we want the pleasure or relief to last we want it to last forever, so we grasp and cling to it, right? We're constantly moving through pain and pleasure or comfort and discomfort or satisfaction and dissatisfaction. It's constant. And this whole time, it's all being perpetuated and initiated by the mind. It's all the mind. The mind is constantly comparing and contrasting. Um, it receives uh, it's receiving data and then comparing it to the past data to decide whether this situation is going to cause pleasure or pain. So what all of these texts are saying is that by finding equanimity, uh, we can weather these storms more effectively. You'll notice that none of these texts ever say that you'll achieve, achieve some state where you're free of this conflict. Not while you're in a body. Instead, they attempt to give you methods of mitigating the conflict. The methods uh, always deal with the mind. It's always about taming the mind. The methods are always things to do in order to steady the mind for meditation. Meditation is known as the practice for death, for the biological death of the body. So we cultivate the witness, the observer or awareness through the meditative practice so that at the time of old age, sickness, and death, we can be steady and let go. So if we push and pull and flail at the death, the belief is that we might fall into an unfavorable birth, or at least that's how it's taught.
Let's get back to the allegory. So when I look back at my life, it falls into phases, right? And when I look back at these phases, I don't even recognize myself. The way I thought about things and my decision-making is so far from what it is now that it feels like another lifetime, another birth. And it feels that way because of the inner work I've done. Not the outer work, not moving, not getting rid of this person, pulling in this person, getting rid of that job, of that job and pulling in this job. A lot of the inner work had to do with letting go of pieces of myself that were no longer serving me um, as well as people that were no longer serving me and that were in fact a drain on resources or taxing to the system. I have died over and over again. I have died to the past over and over again, whether it was people, places, or even my old ideas. Um, that's the practice though, right? Spiritual practice prepares you for death. And it starts by preparing you for the death of your old ideas, your old friends. It's this liminal stage, liminality. Remember, you pass through this liminal stage and you have to now, you know, kind of take another look at who you spend time with, how you spend time with all this stuff. So even these big, um, you know, actually you, you feel the natural shift and the natural flow of life and you either let go and float or you struggle kind of frantically to maintain a situation that's no longer sustainable or it natural maybe it's naturally changing due to all the all these things being causal as I mentioned before. So these big spiritual shifts where you feel all that unity with all things, you know, that so many of you write to me about, that needs to be let go of as well. It all gets let go of. You even die to that. You know, some of, uh, someone recently, well, two people actually, like in the same week are kind of, uh, both women are writing kind of the same things. It's very interesting. And I hear or I read words and they're direct messages that, are, that sound like I'm going to try to hold on to this thing. And it, it's very interesting. So think of it like this. You're going up a ladder. Do you hear that? I hear so many pops. It's so annoying. Um, uh, you're, so you're going up this ladder and you leave each rung behind. You don't try to take them all with you, right? You stand on a new rung every time in hopes of getting to where you need to be, which is up. You know, you, you die to your life on each rung of the ladder. It's the old saying, you use one thorn to remove another thorn and then you throw both thorns away, right? So one time I accepted a Facebook group invite to be part of my 20 year high school reunion. I'd never been to one, whatever. And there's also some, you know, though all my friends were in the same class, there's also, you know, whether or not I actually graduated with them, that's a whole other thing. Well, <laughs> it didn't take long for me to just leave the group because every day someone posted some sad shit about something that happened in high school, like winning a championship. It was like they peaked then. That was it. It was depressing and it was like ghosts. Their old life was done. It was gone, but they didn't know that they were dead. So they stayed around walking the same route over and over again, recreating the past or trying to anyway. So some seemed like they were attached to their past and that's fine for them, but that's not my thing. I'm not interested. 
you know, it, recently, um, a friend of ours, uh, he was in a band with some of my closest friends. I wasn't as close to him as I was these other people, but either way, I know him, we're friends. Uh, recently, we played some shows together, but we all played shows together, you know, back in the day and all that. So um, those of us that were still tight went up to the funeral in Gainesville, met up and kind of did it together, right? It was this like punk rock band reunion and it seemed like it might be fun. Uh, even though it was a funeral, but as I'm sitting there, I'm talking, I'm looking around and it was like a bunch of fucking ghosts and they're replaying these tapes over and over. Like, like the classic trope of the old lady that walks the same path in the graveyard every night at 3am and she's looking for her old love or something like that. It was sad. And most were like bloated, pasty, angry people. You know, and due to the nature of the genre that we were involved in, most of us are very liberal. Um, I'm probably so liberal that it starts to look right wing nowadays. But some of them, instead of being like these, you know, the classic white New Balance angry conservative bitching about the hippies, they were just bloated, pasty liberal. They were, they were the bloated, pasty liberal version of that, right? They were angry and acting like the world owed them something, you know, talking about the good old days and all that shit. And it was kind of gross. I left early and I drove four hours back to South Florida to Palm Beach County. And I remember thinking, I can't wait to get back to work where people want to change and want healing. And I'll remind you that I work in mental health and addiction. But again, it was like watching ghosts, hungry ghosts at that, if you're familiar with that Buddhist... Uh, archetype, right? They didn't, it was like they didn't know that their old self was dead. They couldn't move on, right? We have to learn uh, to die to each moment. When we let go and stop trying to recreate the past or maintain uh, a clearly dissolving present that's changing right before our eyes, you know, it, we, we mitigate the suffering, Right? We can let go of that and kind of let time go. And it hurts. And yes, it can be you know, seen as loss, but, but, it, but all it is is change. It's evolution. And there's nothing wrong with that. Each moment dies and it's okay. Remember, it's all causal. It all keeps moving. And that's a good thing. The allegory of birth and death. It's dying to the old self, dying to the old way, dying to the past. And there's freedom in flowing with the river and not trying to outswim it or swim against it. You know, I've never felt better. I've never been happier and more content. Does that mean that I don't experience pain? Of course not. But I can say that I don't suffer like I used to. And I don't suffer like I used to because I'm not who I used to be. Right? I can remember when music was dying in my heart. That sounds dramatic. But I wasn't like, I was saying yes to shows because I don't know, like I, it's like a, a weird habit, right? You know, I hear people all the time, especially at work, they say, I just want to be who I was. And my response is always, fuck who you were. Who you were didn't have the wisdom gained from the experiences that brought you to your fucking knees and forced you to improve. It forced you to change, and that's grace. 
Thank God the shit hit the fan and you had to let go of the past, whether it was who you were, a relationship you were stuck in, or a job that was killing you. You died to your past and it hurt and you moved on to the next birth and here we are. That's how it's going to work. And it's okay. That's it for birth, death, and suffering. I don't know what else to say about it. I feel like I've prattled on enough. Um, and it's if we can read this as allegory in this old text, I, I, I think it can help. I believe it turns the dial a couple more clicks and gives us another, another view of this. So I hope this was helpful. <laughs> I don't know why I always laugh when I say that because it's like, in my mind, I just rattled on for 20 some odd minutes and hoped for the best. And sometimes I, I don't know, I'm hard on myself, but I hope it was helpful. Um, I hope you found this beneficial as usual. If you have questions, comments, or suggestions, please feel free to reach out. You know, I'll respond. I always do. Some of you find out that I'll just shoot you my phone and be like, call me. Let's fucking talk about it. And as I mentioned before, if you'd like to support the ongoing creation of the infinite spark of being in all of its facets, please do that at the infinite where there's a link to the Patreon as well as a link to the books and other merch like shirts, tank tops and posters. I am working on the third book. Um, and as I mentioned, my time management is dog shit. Um, as usual, don't forget, you can always reach out and talk to me. We're old friends. Don't be weird about it. Goodbye.